I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon to you. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you. Two expert guests over the course of an hour on this Friday, the 23rd of December. So the final trading session before the Christmas holiday break. And joining us today, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, yeah, tis the season for all of the reflections that we do around this time every year. Luke, I'm going to put you on the spot, ask you first. What's something that you're, you've learned through 2023 or something that you think was a real hallmark of this year? I should say 2022, I'm getting ahead of myself. Like, give us a thought. What really resonated with you as an investor? I'm like you today, bring on 2023. I wanna put 2022 behind me. Um, look, the main lesson, it's one I think in markets, we relearn it all the time and, and that's it. it comes back to cash flow. Um, you know, businesses who have been able to, to, to produce cash flow and growing cash flow streams have actually done quite well, be that even, even some in the tech space have held up really well compared to peers when they've been able to achieve that. Um, mining companies, obviously, many of them generating strong cash flows on the back of higher commodity prices. Um, and, and the flip side to that is, of course, all these businesses who um, did really well through 2021. And, and you go back and you look at some of the adjusted EBITDA metrics and the exclusion of share-based payments and addbacks and, and whatnots. You know, the market, when it goes through those periods of exuberance, they, it sometimes gets forgotten that at the end of the day, if cash flow is not being generated, then it's all for nothing. So I think 2022 was a sharp reminder that, that's, you know, that's, that cash is still king. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was Ray Dalio said cash is trash when interest rates were 0%. That was, that was probably the mentality back then, but not anymore. You can, you can get 4% in a term deposit now. That's relevant for some of the stocks we'll talk about today. Um, and so, you know, businesses that are generating cash, I think it's the, the, the big lesson, the big takeaway from, from this year. Got it. Claude, I think you might agree with some of that. But was there anything else that really stood out to you as an investor from this year? Yeah, sure. So for me personally, every year I look at my uh, most expensive lessons uh, in terms of where I've lost money on a stock. And <clears throat> this year that was a company called E-Road. And the lesson for me is, so in April, I wrote an article that's title was uh, E-Road Founder Resigns My Thesis is Broken. And in the conclusion, I said, I'm just going to wait and see if the share price rebounds at all. If it does, I'll sell out completely. If it doesn't, I'll probably just sell slowly. And I didn't really hold myself to that because I did manage to sell some shares then at, at $2.95 after I wrote that article, almost a month after. And that was really the opportunity to sell all of my shares out and just be done with it. And I really just dropped the ball and, and didn't stick to my uh, decision to like sell, I said sell out slowly. I should have basically just got rid of it. I'm never going to write those words. I'm going to sell out slowly again. If my thesis is broken, I'm going to just say I'm going to sell out quickly and I'm going to get it done with it. Um, because selling out slowly was the uh, most expensive mistake I made this year. I could have um, sold them all out at like, you know, above $2.50 and 
now I still hold some and the, the share price is under a dollar. So that was really silly, just not doing what I planned and not executing on, on the thesis break then. Look, um, we're all fallible, aren't we? We've all learned lessons throughout this year. Thanks for that, guys. So let's take a look at the first five stocks we'll be discussing today. MA Financial Group, MAF is the ticker code, Macquarie Telecom, Estia Health, Bizzle Alloy Steel Group, BIS is the ticker code, and DeLorean Corporation, DEL. And of course, we've got our stock of the day, which is early pay. This is an interesting one, and I know you've got a view, Claude. It has withdrawn its guidance and outlook for FY23 after appointing Grant Thornton to try to recover around $29 million owed to it by RevRoof and its subsidiary Painted Steel Technologies. Now, Early Pay also says that it's in the process of enhancing its approach to credit provisioning, which may result in an increase of the overall provisioning amount. And the stock today is down by 42 so this company went into a trading hold a couple of days ago. I'm going to start with you on this one, Claude Walker, because I know that you know the company well. And I believe that this is another lesson in accordance with one of your, you know, your rules of investing or your thesis when it comes to these companies. Yes, it is, actually. I didn't even think of that link uh, prior to the show. But yes, of course. So um, as you can see, this is exactly similar story to E-Road. Uh, but so back in September, I wrote an article, the early, early pay CEO resigns. Uh, and explaining that how I was going to sell out of the stock because of that. And uh, thank God this time I did. So actually followed my rules and my process and, and it saved me a, a hefty loss there. So in fact, I made a profit on that, I think. Uh, anyway, I'd have to check that. But um, definitely did get a good dividend for a little while there. Uh, look, this is a lending uh, company. So when the economic cycle starts turning, people can't pay their bills. And what's happened for the um, early pay is that They've had a big customer uh, go bankrupt or going to receivership, owing them uh, just under thirty million dollars, I think. And you know, initially when they announced this, they sort of said, "Oh, um, you know, no impact on guidance." And you know, that was a great opportunity to sell for people after that. Uh, now they've said they're going to withdraw the guidance as a result of this. But either way, you know, this is just showing it's a super cyclical business. I highly, I mean, these company has been around for a while. It's survived cycles before, so let, I wouldn't, you know say that it's a completely worthless company but it just shows that these businesses are super cyclical and you really have to uh just if the first sign of anything bad you you definitely want to any negative uh flags definitely get out of these kind of stocks um and yeah th that's where i stand on it i i would just let you know the new ceo settle in let's see all you know how it goes through the next year which will probably be a much tougher part of the economic cycle for these guys and then they might be an interesting play on the other side of that. Um, but just keeping in mind, any kind of lending company, super cyclical, probably if you have the view that 2023 is going to be a fairly tough year uh, economically in the real economy, then it's not a particularly fun time to own, own this kind of business. Okay, so uh, tougher times ahead. This would be a sell for you? Uh, I haven't run the numbers right. It's actually plunged 42% today, and I stopped looking at it back in September when the when I um, the CEO resigned. So it's hard to say what the numbers will be. Obviously, they're going through a period of more volatility. Uh, Luke might have a better eye eye on valuation, but yeah, for me, it would be a thesis. It would still be a broken thesis, and I, I wouldn't really want to own it right now. Okay, there you go. So early pay, the cycle is working against it. This at one point was looked upon pretty favorably by many in the market there, Luke, uh, despite its name change at the height of the buy now, pay later, uh, you know, 
frenzy, which some sort of critiqued it because it, it wasn't sort of a pay, it's, it's more of a lending. So what do you think about early pay now? I mean, you've got to think of most positions, a lot of positions have been shaken out. Yeah, look, like Claude Nadine, it's one I've owned in the past and, and, and sold. Um, as Claude said, it was it was before the CEO left, but um, it's, it's a tough space and it's one where you've got to be very aware of the macro conditions that they operate in. Um, and, and where I think they've been squeezed on both ends is, you know, the, the rapid pace of interest rate rises, um, you know, starting to bite that that economy where these guys play in that small business space, you're lending to invoice financing, equipment financing, you know, your major exposures are construction, hospitality industries like that. Um, but of course, you know, there's not much equity funding behind this business. It's largely wholesale funding from wholesale debt markets. And, and you know, you're talking about a year ago, you could tap those markets for you know, low single digit um, interest rates. Now with, um, you know, the RBA and, and, and you know, risk-free rates at 3%, those sorts of rates are now 8, 9%, and it just really changes the economics behind businesses like these, and they have to have to adapt quite quickly. So you're copying it from both ends, from your from your supply and, and then also the, the, the customer demand side as well. Um, look, as Claude said, these, this is a business that's been around for a while. It's weathered cycles. A, a customer going under, it, it happens. It, it, this is the business that they're in. Of course, being your largest customer and your largest exposure, that's not ideal. And, and, and you've seen the reaction to the share price today. But I actually think you highlighted the, the most ominous part of the announcement today, Nadine, when you said they're reviewing their provisioning across the whole book. To me, that says maybe they've uh, you know, new new management's come in and maybe sees they've been under provisioning historically, and, and you know you fix that up and 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 you, you you sort of take the the hit today, or it could be we're looking across our book, we're looking across our, our exposures and that current macro we're in, and we think we're behind the eight ball and and sort of need to adjust things and probably has an impact on on how much you're going to lend moving forward as well. So I actually agree with Claude. I think he, he sort of said from a valuation point of view, how do you look at it today? It, it's almost impossible. They've pulled guidance until you know what, what provisioning looks like, what, you know, the, what they're able to recover from RevRoof as their largest client. Um, I would probably take Claude's view and say, I dare say if anyone's owned it, you've probably had your thesis broken at this point. I think it's difficult to come up with any sort of fundamental valuation. And, and perhaps the, the most difficult part to it is, you know, this is a business that can go to zero. Um, you know, there's some businesses where, you know, because of their balance sheets or, or hard tangible assets that it, it won't go bankrupt, but this is one where it could happen. So look, I would, I would probably exit today and sit on the sidelines until you get a lot more clarity about what's happening. That's a sell. Thank you so much, guys. That's early pay, the stock of the day. Let's get to the list that was submitted by our viewers. And the first on the list is MA Financial Group. So um, the context being, I believe our viewer has held this company before. Um, it has had its share price really hit hard. Um, you know, uh, yeah, saying I've owned this before but sold up and wondering whether the recent pullback offers another entry opportunity. Yeah, to my point, it, um, yeah, it's pulled back quite significantly. What do you think, Luke? I'll start with you. 
Um, yeah, look, I've heard people talk about this as a, as a mini Macquarie bank. And, and when you look at it, you, you definitely see uh, those tyres. It's, it's a, um, you know, uh, the old Molus Australia has ties to Molus over in the US as an investment bank. Um, very much in that asset management space, corporate advisory, um, do a bit of um, you know, lending and trying to get into the mortgage space or an acquisition of Finshore. So, um, you know, very much trying to recreate that Macquarie model. And of course, the that sort of model relies on the the brains in the business the people that come to work every day and you know when the lights go on the lights go off that's the you know that's the earning driver of your business you're attracting the right people you're incentivizing them well remunerating them well and i think these guys do a pretty good job of that now the share price has been um under a lot of weakness you can see a little um, spike down there nadine back in august um they've attracted a, a lot of uh, foreign investment money through a scheme where uh, essentially if someone was to bring, I think $5 million into Australia, um, you know, they're able to access citizenship more easily or, or something like that. And the government's basically reviewing that scheme and MA came out and said they had decent exposure to it somewhere in the, in the range of, I did jot it down, roughly a third of their assets uh, are related to that government scheme. So there's question marks over their asset base if something like that were to happen. But look, I, I think, you know, put that to the side. They've got some guidance. For it. It, it trades on about 12 times earnings. Um, those earnings are very cyclical to capital markets, you know, just on that on that management side of the business, corporate advisory. You know, you need, you, you sort of want a buoyant market to see the business do really well. Um, but you've got, a, you've got a, a good earnings base there. I think you've got an exec team that are, are very well experienced, very well remunerated, aligned with shareholders. This is one for a longer term hold for me. Um, so if you're there, I definitely hold it. If you're on the sidelines and you're sort of looking for that, you know, what's the next Macquarie look like? This is the sort of business you'd look at. And you might start nibbling away at a small position here, but just be aware you've got that government policy looming over them, with, which is potentially question marks. And just a tougher, you know, 2022 is a tough environment for markets. If, if this does linger on for a while, it's not the sort of business that shoots the lights out, but they'll survive and they'll come out the other side. I've got no doubt about that. So um, it, it's probably a hold for me, Nadine, but, but if you're someone looking for that, I, I think you can actually nibble a little bit. Great, thank you. Now let's get a view from Claude Walker on MA Financial. I think Luke gave an excellent summary then. Um, I'll just try to add on top of that. Uh, the thing that I think that is like the highest or the most interesting part of it in the short term is that they have, uh, you know, in income funds, MI Financial Priority Income Funds. And I think they've been getting strong net inflows. And that's uh, a product that probably starts looking more attractive with as rates increase. And so I think that there's, I'm, I'm looking for reasons to own it here. If I, if I was just trying to put a bit of a bull case, I'd say, oh, maybe there's going to be some counter-cyclicality. They, they will be hurt by, the, by a slowdown in the economic cycle and basically high interest rates potentially. Um, you know, the, the majority of these, these guys also more recently got into um, lending uh, for residential loans and stuff like that through an acquisition or a couple of acquisitions, I think. So... Um, I'm not sure, you know, if necessarily the business quality is improving there, but I do agree with uh, Luke that it's the kind of business you could just hold for the long term. I think that, you know, in 10 years from now, it's quite likely to be a fairly bigger business. But my problem with it at the moment is just the price is not there. I'd look at uh, a dividend yield for a company like this. I think that's if you're going to have it as this sort of long term hold, I think you're really trying to be thinking about. What are the dividend, what's the dividend income stream you're going to get over the years and, and with the expectation and hope that that will increase over the years? And I think it probably will. But right now, I think uh, if they do a 20 cent dividend, which I feel is probably possible, and that's in sort of in line with estimates, I think, um, that's a 4.3% yield. So, uh, yeah, and there's some risks to the downside as 
Luke was uh, highlighting. So as a result of that, I actually come in a little bit more negative than Luke on this, and I probably wouldn't want to hold it right now, although I do acknowledge that if you had a super long-term view, that would be um, a reasonable course of action. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's get on to Macquarie Telecom. Macquarie Telecom, uh, in your view, Claude, it's got some pretty stable customers, um, particularly when it comes to the data center side of the business. What do you make of it? Uh, yeah, so this one's an interesting one. So I actually think that there's a part of Macquarie Telecom business which is quite attractive indeed. And so what they've sort of specialized in within the data center space is uh, having super secure uh, um, data centers in Sydney and Canberra and, and around Australia. Like they've got a bunker in Canberra, for example. And so these guys obviously specialize in a lot of uh, government work where they help uh, the, the, you know, the government keep certain uh, information all very private and protected from cyber attack. And that's their sort of uh, cloud services and government segments, which is now about, about half the business based, based on Evita. And that is, now they have some other parts of their business that uh, for example, their old telecom business, quite low margin, not really a very good business, not a bad business, and, and perhaps part of the overall bundle they want to um, sell. But the interesting part is the cloud service and government business. And I, I like them for that. And I think that, you know, for example, they have like uh, high level security clearance with um, Microsoft in the intelligent, Microsoft Intelligence Security association etc i think they're going to get more growth on that kind of their business they're investing heavily with capex and um they of course do have maintenance maintenance capex as well so there's a lot of growth expected and that is absolutely in the in the share price so i think a p ratio over 100 right now capital intensive business so it does take capital to grow as well with these new data centers etc uh so very i think it's a high quality business but yeah the market does too the market really does so for, for me, there's no opportunity there as a potential buyer. If anything, I'd probably be more on the take profits mindset. But having said this, uh, just because it does have part of its business that it's super high quality, uh, I I'm going to give it still a hold, even though I'd probably take profits, just because I think if I did manage to acquire shares in this company at an attractive price, I probably would just try to hold on for the long term. Um, they've found a lead, like I think they do long term planning for this company. so. But yeah, it's too expensive for my, to my mind at the moment, but still a good quality business. Thank you. All right, let's get a view on Macquarie Telecom from you, Luke. Um, I generally agree with that that take at the end of Dean. I think it's an illiquid stock. And if you've been there and built a position, I wouldn't be rushing to take too much off the table, maybe, maybe a little bit, because I agree with Claude. It's a high quality business, but the, the, the market knows that and it's priced that way. Um, look, how to think about value in this business is tough because they they make good cash flows, but then essentially reinvest all of it and, and you know get good returns on that, especially over time when you build these data centers, their infrastructure like assets. Um, so, you know, I, I did some, they, they break out their capital expenditure by what they call maintenance capex, basically, you know, business as usual, keep the lights on versus what we're investing for growth. And if you take their cash flows and, and sort of assume, okay, if they stop building new data centers, stop trying to grow, what sort of annuity-like returns would you get? Um, I sort of came to about 50 million in cash flow, which is, you know, sounds about right and puts on about 25 times that number. So that that's, you know, right up there. And I think the markets, you know, you need that growth to come through. The market's pricing that in and that's sort of what Claude was alluding to. So, look, I think you hold it just because it's a liquid and probably tough to get back in when you want to. It's a high quality business. David Tudorhope owns, you know, 60% of it. He's there for the long term. So um, probably just a, a classic hold for me, Nadine. 
classical, there you go. Let's get to Estia Health. Estia Health in the aged care space. What do you make of it, Luke? Look, it's a tricky one. I, I think this is this is one where the thematic is, you know, so much more appealing than the actual businesses themselves. You, you want to like the idea of aged care. We know there's an aging population. Businesses like Estia will have to be around and provide their services, but ultra competitive you know you're, you're at the mercy of a government pen stroke with a lot of different policies and fundings um very much COVID disrupted as well i, I sort of went back and looked at well, what did fy19 look like you know pre-covid they did about 40 million dollars in net profit um roughly the same amount of beds or, or rooms as back then as well so even as you know COVID effects start to subside it probably only gets back to sort of that maybe 40 to 45 million and maybe assume a little bit of efficiency gains or something like that um so, you know, 12 times earnings, that, that sounds cheap, but as Claude was, has sort of pointed out a couple of times, if you think about this through the perspective of a dividend yield, because it is that mature business that probably won't give you that much growth, um, when you can go and get term deposits now at about that 4% rate, you know, you sort of need your dividend yields to be up towards maybe that 6 or 7 to be compensated for the equity risk you're taking. So, look, I, I think it's, it's not the worst business, the thematics there long term, but um, I, I, at best, I could say a hold, Nadine, and to be honest, I think you probably want more out of your defensive um, yield plays right now than what ST is providing. So, you know, if you do hold in that dividend portfolio, I'd actually maybe sell and, and review it and look for something giving you a bit more. Okay, that's a sell. Let's go to you, Claude. Would you be buying, holding, or selling STA Health? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably be selling this one as well. Uh, I'll, I agree with what Luke said, but to put it in more uh, sort of abstracted but simple terms this is a structurally challenged industry obviously it is reliant on government subsidy and the setting there the problem is aged care is something that lends itself more to uh something the community needs to be doing for itself perhaps it should be actually you know funded much more heavily um and by using private markets to provide aged care you sort of create this incentive where somebody makes more money if people aren't looked after properly and that it really sits awkwardly, hence the need for massive amounts of regulation and, and swings and roundabouts for the sector. You know, you can look at the listed history of these companies and it's not impressive. And some things just don't lend themselves well to be the, being the profit-making, um, you know, shareholder making some sort of margin on something. Not all industries really should lend themselves to that so well better than, you know, some mm -hmm. do better than others. And I think this is a tough one. So not saying it's worthless, but it's just a tough they can't there's never been any compounding in this sector that we've seen that that's created a lot of value for shareholders yeah wonderful okay thanks guys let's get to Bizaloy steel group i'll start with you on this one claude oh ah, yeah so this is a little uh company that also i guess you know has strategic value to australia because they're doing steel um now this alloy first caught my attention i think because malcolm turnbull the former prime minister bought in a while ago and he he if um, I recall correctly, he did quite well in terms of when he bought in because since then they've gone and put uh, forth some really good, solid profit results. And that was just because basically the macroeconomic, you know, the, the demand for steel was high and that they um, therefore were able to have higher than usual margins. And they're not even expecting that to continue with their recent AGM. Uh, they pointed out that they're anticipating a normalization of product, product margins uh, as a result of lower prices along with higher energy and transportation costs so you can't um take it's PE ratio of about seven if you look it up and uh i think a, a six 
6% dividend yield or thereabouts. Uh, so it looks very cheap on those numbers. And quite frankly, its performance over the last year has been really good. I think we can expect that profit to drop a little bit. Uh, the question then, of course, becomes, is it still worth it? Because say the profit drops, uh, the P ratio might go up to 12. It still could be a decent hold. And I, I think probably it is. I, I suspect that uh, the share price, you know, I'm not jumping over to buy my buy shares in this right now just because I see this potential uh, weaker result coming up and it's in a liquid stock so it could drop down a bit that's probably a more strategic time to buy but in the long term I don't think it's too badly priced I think it will probably continue to pay out dividends up there are a few risks uh, of course they they do have a certain amount of business in China which can always um, you know be affected by geopolitics and also what's happening in China's macro um, interesting growth engine in I guess uh, they specializing in armored vehicles and supplying steels for that as well. So that's a small part of their business at the moment, but something that's perhaps more topical uh, these days. Yeah, got it. All right. Thank you. What do you think, Luke? Um, I, I thought this was a much better business than what I expected to, to look at, Nadine. It, it's not one I'd actually looked at quite closely. It's not my style of business, that that sort of commodity producer, very cyclical. Um, but But... I, I came away much more impressed than what I expected to be. Uh, the main reason why is I opened up their annual report and the headline number was for 28 million EBITDA. And, and the first thing I expected to see was, you know, big lumps of depreciation and amortization. And by the time you get back to a net profit line, you know, 28 turns into four or five or, or something like that. But it was actually a much more capital light business than what I expected. Only a couple of million dollars in depreciation and amortization, not a lot of capex behind that. So the, the cash flow generation was, was really quite strong. Um, that was until I noted that, they actually have a, a big chunk of inventory on the balance sheet. They've, they've, you know, it went from about 27 million to I think it was 39 million or 36 million. Um, and that's where I started to get a little bit worried. So the execution has been great over the last few years. The stock price has rallied. It looks cheap on those historical numbers, but I agree with Claude's view. I think you're probably buying this now on peak earnings and it's a very, very dangerous game to play to buy cyclical producers on, on peak earnings, um, particularly well when they have that, that inventory build. You know, if, if this market turns on these guys and they've got to put that $36 million inventory into a weaker market, those margins come down very sharply. Now, you know, the protection you do have, and, and I do agree with Claude, is the multiple is low. And even if it does come down a little bit, you've still got a good management team who have been through cycles before. Um, so the way I, I don't own this stock, but the way I would play it, you've had a good year, particularly compared to the market in a stock where I probably wouldn't have predicted to do so well. Take profits on this name at these levels. Um, maybe you don't sell your whole position. It is it is a decent business and maybe it's an exposure you want to keep in your portfolio and some good operators behind it. Um, but but it's one where I think it's, it's done well. It's probably grown in, within your portfolio. And I think it's one you could take profits on for sure. Great. Well, um, thanks. So was that take profits for you too, Claude? Yeah, more or yeah. less. I, I wouldn't have it as a large a large holding given the cyclical peak that it seems to be at. Yeah, got it. All right, guys. DeLorean is the next on the list. So what do you make of this ASX listed company? Luke, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, look, I, I um, come across these guys a couple of times. I, I've actually spoken with with management once um, many months ago now, but it was a, a good conversation. So they're looking to do renewable energy around biofuels, and 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 you know, the, in the past they've constructed these plants for for large customers, usually large manufacturers or people like that, and have been your traditional you know engineering contracting style business where you make a, a small margin. 
they've been wanting to pivot to a build own operate model for a while where they own the assets you know generate a margin on the on the generation of electric electricity and, and on sell that to to you know customers but also into the into the general um, electricity market as well and when i spoke with management the, the big question mark was always or straight away was how do you fund this you know you're looking to build these projects you've got a pipeline that was going to cost you you know 50 100 million dollars i can't remember exactly but you know large multiples of, of the capital that this this business has in it and you know where were you going to get that capital from equity markets debt markets you know joint venture partnerships there's just a lot of uncertainty behind it and so when when matt sent in the suggestion he, he highlighted that key issue that, that they appear to have solved that problem a little bit they've partnered with um palisades an investment manager um for some some um you know a joint venture on a couple of projects some debt funding as well now look at a quick glance matt i don't i'd only come back to it you know for the purpose of this program i haven't really kept too close of an eye on it um, i'd need to probably do a bit more work into how that arrangement is structured because the last thing you want to do there's a lot of promise in this business and what they want to do, but that can quickly be eaten away if you're entering into deals where your partners are able just to extract more value than what you know than what DeLorean can. So I need to do a bit more work. I would probably hold it if you there, just because it, it does seem like that main question has sort of looks like it's been answered for me, anyways. But um, for anyone else, uh, and for me in particular, Nadine, because it's in that microcap mm-hmm. universe where I want to play, I just need to do a bit more work to figure out. You know, Palisades come to the table and looks like they're really providing funding for these guys but what are those terms you know can and extract the returns on, on on the capital they'll have as well so hold it if you're there but but a few things that i'll need to do a bit more work on to sort of be a bit more bullish on okay it. watch this space in fact uh what do you think claude have you done some work on delorean i've done a little work on it i just you know at the end of the day it's not a very high quality business and i don't i think it doesn't serve anyone very well uh, to invest in these kind of super early stage companies. Uh, it's it's okay, uh, in my view, to um, invest in early stage companies if they're in some sort of uh, attractive uh, business model, which can give you excess rewards uh, in the future. But the risk reward never stacks up for me for these kind of, uh, I guess, simultaneously pushing the frontiers of technology, but it's all physical, uh, capital intensive uh, invention and uh, rolling out and, and look, Luke talked to us about all the financing uh, ups and downs from this kind of business. Obviously, it's you know it's cash outflows that are even going out. I don't think that uh, it's just worth the risk and reward. If you actually just look at it, for me, I think you have to buy this kind of business once it's already profitable. Like for example, uh, there was a company, uh, Wind Lab, that was listed a few years ago that had sort of profitable, profitable you know running wind farms that it was getting constant revenue from. And it was like, you know, much larger. And even that sort of struggled on the stock market and got uh, taken over at not much more than what it listed for from memory. So I think they're tough businesses to make money in as public market investors. I think you're stacking the odds against you even more if you're getting involved in this sort of pre-profitable phase where it's like super speculative. And so I would definitely say um, less chance of hurting yourself badly if you wait until they're like, they're a company that makes a profit every year and then maybe you could dabble in it. Uh, It's just not worth it otherwise for me. Got it. So that's an avoid. Okay. That brings us to the halfway mark, Matt. You did just ask for thoughts on DeLorean, so that's what you got. Remember, this is not financial advice. This is not for your specific circumstances. It is treated as information by you. All right. Let's get to a bit of a review of what we've learned so far. So for early pay, it's it's an exit. It's a sell. 
Uh, look, both of my guests say it's just too difficult right now to get any visibility on valuation or where it's headed. It's a highly cyclical business, so Claude would be avoiding it as well. And both have owned it in the past. MA Financial, it's an avoid for Claude. It, he just thinks, again, the cycle might be working against it. Um, but if you've got a hold or in your portfolio already, Luke says to hold it. And he, at these levels, say you could nibble at it a little bit more, considering he reckons this is a long-term investment. Macquarie Telecom, it's a hold for both of my guests. Well, even fact, uh, Claude would be taking a bit of profit from Macquarie Telecom. He thinks it's too expensive right now. Luke points to its illiquidity, but he says it's a classic hold. All right, SDA Health, a sell from both of my guests. Uh, and Claude raises the question, you know, are all industries uh, ripe for a profit-making business? And he reckons, I think, that uh, aged care perhaps is not. Bizaloy Steel Group take profits in the words of Luke. He doesn't like buying into anything when they've achieved sort of peak earnings. Again, Claude is expecting the profits to drop a bit. Um, take profits from this one as well. And DeLorean, it's a hold for Luke. You heard why. And it's an avoid for Claude. It's pre-profit to hard basket. There are other listed companies that you can get into now that are already profitable in his view. So that is a look at those companies that we've just summarized. Let's get a look at the High Conviction Fund picked by our investment committee. It's up on the Ausbiz website if you'd like to have a look at uh, what was put in and out going into December. I can tell you BAPCOR and Domino's were removed, Index and Jensen Education were added, and you can listen to that episode to find out why. Our portfolio is up by 6.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on the 1st of March. Keep sending your requests to this program and we will keep putting them to our expert guests to see if they would buy, hold, or sell. Coming up in January, the call super buy. All your favorite experts, one super buy. If an expert really loves a stock, all they have to scream is super buy. And it will go straight to the investment committee. All of January, exclusive to the call. Only on Ausbiz. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. The next five stocks on the list, Aussie Broadband, Pure Hydrogen, Monash IVF, Magnus Energy Technologies, and Cobalt Blue Holdings. So let's get to Aussie Broadband. This is for Lachlan. He says, while it's a growth stock, Telcoms is fairly stable and the business should be a beneficiary in his view of Optus's epic data breach, which could potentially have angered thousands of customers who may be switching. Boy, that sounds like it's been written by an Aussie broadband <laughs> PR team. Uh, let's get your thoughts on this one, Luke, because this is a classic example of a company that came into 2022 riding a high, market darling, but its fortunes have, have changed throughout this year. Do you think it offers potential value now? 
I think it does, Nadine. It, it looks interesting to me. It's it's one I probably hadn't looked at. Um, my my perception of it was similar to like you said, like um, you know, th- this is a company that focuses so heavily on customer service, and they generate that almost you know, cult like fanaticism around them. Um, you know, people people love to talk about Aussie broadband and and, and you know pump up the brand for them. Um, so. When I looked at their Investor Day presentation, which I actually thought was fantastic, there was a, a lot of detail in that presentation through all the different segments, um, not just their core telco segments, but what they want to do, um, you know, almost taking on Macquarie Telecom, who we were talking about earlier, getting into that sort of enterprise government space for um, for uh, managed services and, and, and telco, telco services. Um, you know, going through that presentation, they flagged that, that heavy capex period that they've been through the last couple of years, they're trying to build out their own infrastructure, build out their own um, fiber uh, fiber lines, um, will sort of stay flat this year at around that 50 million, um, while the business continues to grow its 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 profits quite strongly. So again, sort of running those um, numbers that I, I did with Macquarie Telecom to sort of say, okay, well, what happens if, if Aussie Broadband decided to become more of an annuity style business and sort of pause those growth investments, what sort of cash flow would be would spit back out to, to um, shareholders? And I sort of got to around um, you know, 30 million in, in free cash flow. On a market cap of 600, you're talking 20 times, Macquarie Telecom was 25, you m- might remember I said that earlier. Um, I think that's getting to a level where it's not cheap, but this is a, a what I think is a very high quality business. It's certainly managed by a very high quality management team. Um, in, in a tough industry, but, but you know there are examples of, of businesses that are in tough industries still being very good investments uh, because of the quality of the, the team running them. Um, Dickadart is always the one that springs to mind as a you know what should be a pretty average business that, that's done really well for people. And I think Philip Britt and the team who's got at Aussie Broadband uh, you know, sort of fit that bill as well. So look, I wouldn't go gung ho into this one, Nadine. If you if you didn't own it, I wouldn't be jumping in and you know grabbing a full position straight away. Um, you know, but I think it's one you could definitely start to ease into a into a position um, into a position in, uh, particularly if you're looking for something, you know, as you said, Telstra, TPG. I, I think those guys they've, they've gone X growth, and you see that in the metrics, and and, and Aussie Broadband highlights it. You know, they're, they're stealing market share from those guys at a rate of knots. So I really like these guys as a challenge of those big brands, and then and then taking those core earnings and looking to get into some more exciting areas as well. So. It's a buy for me. Maybe not, you know, as I said, maybe not all up at once, but, mm-hmm. but definitely um, uh, nibbling, I think, is the, the word we use here. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. All right. What do you think, Claude? Would you have a nibble, a little taste of ABB? Oh, I feel tempted to agree with Luke just uh, because, you know, it's Christmas and everything. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't want to be overly negative because I find it quite convincing what he was saying. Actually, uh, we had an article uh, from an author who does own um, Aussie Broadband shares. Uh, on our website not long ago and it, it argues a similar uh, line of thought as Luke actually comes in a little bit below that on the estimate of you know the hypothetical free cash flow there and basically says look given the track record of uh, management growing this brand so successfully uh, that that you know you could basically uh, back management to continue to grow and, and steal market share and I think that's quite reasonable uh, it's not unreasonable at all to, to uh, look as Lachlan has done and and look at you know the reviews for Aussie broadband and compare them to other uh, telcos. And you know what he's basically found is they have a better reputation based on just him reading reviews and compiling reviews from productreview.com.au. And so I think that's a reasonable basis to to argue that this will continue to uh, grab market share. Of course, they've 
you know, they've they've they're starting to grow by acquisition. They were over the wire, uh, so it's not necessarily completely just about uh, that that residential angle uh, in terms of whether they succeed. They have to integrate an acquisition properly. There's always some risk there, uh, but you know, telcos generally have a better time integrating acquisitions than uh, some other businesses. And there are more natural synergies in that kind of uh, business. So that could make sense as well. So overall, I'm actually going to have to just fall short of the, the buy there. I call it a hold myself because I, I wouldn't be necessarily giving up on it now. Uh, I'm At the same time, you know, my reticence is basically around the fact that it's it's a telco and it's, you know, basically still priced for as a growth stock. And I prefer buy a telco when it's just a little bit more mature and I can see those earnings per share. And then if it is a good telco, I would hope that there are going to be a few years of uh, earnings per share growth. And maybe that's the ride that I'd like to be on once they get their first earnings per share, which we might be looking at uh, in FY2023. And then maybe that'll give us a better idea of uh, how the stock is valued. And mm-hmm. if they can if they can um, reach uh, broker forecast, then I think that the stock will end up being higher. So. Uh, the market a little bit more negative than analysts in my view at the moment on Aussie Broadband, uh, but I'm going to say hold. Okay, so that's a hold for Aussie Broadband. Let's get to Pure Hydrogen. This is on the list. Um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, hydrogen obviously is talked about a lot. Lots of promise. You know, we've had um, we've had you know Andrew Forrest from Fortescue Future Industries. You know, really committing to that as being the next big leg up in terms of managing the climate crisis. Uh, but early early days so claude does this sort of again go to your thesis that you, you want to see these companies that have made more headway uh in terms of of profitability first yeah absolutely or in this one's case even just revenue i think the last full year revenue was like forty three thousand dollars or something like that uh it's just it doesn't really it's not got a business yet it's just an idea for a business and that's okay and if people want to play that game that's fine but that this is the super duper punty end of the asx here because Really, what's going to influence the share price is, you know, they've got an exploration program going on, uh, presumably, you know, to, to get gas, which they're then going to use, they say, to, I'm guessing, to, to provide hydrogen, which seems to be uh, part of part of their uh, overall story that they're telling people. But there's no actual hydrogen network. You know, there's, I don't, I think hydrogen, hydrogen usage for trucking widespread is, is a very long way away um this is rocket fuel as you know as i understand it there's a lot of work to be done to make that uh, something you want to put in your car so uh overall i would just call it uh, a very risky sort of uh idea stock and i wouldn't i would personally not invest in it it's just going to go with the flows of sentiment or mm-hmm. you know whatever whatever avoid. yeah avoid there you go luke what what do you think um because i think our viewer has said assuming hydrogen has a positive future in renewables is there any you know company in this space that that you would like if it's not pure hydrogen yeah top of my head i, I can't think of many that do and as you said it, it makes headlines through fortescue but if you bought fortescue you you know you're not really getting the hydrogen exposure it's still 99 percent iron ore um when i started looking at pure hydrogen i thought to myself this all looks very familiar and and you know jumped on the osby's website typed in the ticker and, and found that claude and i had actually spoken about this back in february um and, and back then as claude said you know it's it's very much an idea that's great and i think you know the, the overall trend behind hydrogen has some you know probably has a lot of legs and some really cool stuff will, will come out in that space the issue I highlighted is, you know, these guys, if you look through their presentations and they still had them, you know, when I went back and looked at the AGM uh, today, 
um, you know, long pipelines of hydrogen hubs that they want to build in Queensland and, and Darwin and Adelaide. And I just come back to this thought that, you know, this is a business cap- capitalised at $60 million. Like, it just doesn't have the capital to do what it wants to do. Um, and so similar to when we're talking about DeLorean before, that's my question mark. Where does the financing come from? It, it, it won't come from equity markets because... You just your share price is now too low to raise anywhere near the capital you would need. So you need you know joint venture joint venture partners, debt funding. Until I saw questions like that being answered, Nadine, I, I probably wouldn't go near it. That being said, you know it probably is the best way to play the theme if you wanted to have a you know very tiny punt on the idea of hydrogen. I, I, I do sort of get that, but just just understand what you're doing is sort of what I always say to people with stuff like that. Got it. Thanks, guys. Monash IVF is the next on the list. This is coming from Yaz. Yaz, I hope you're watching or listening. He's wondering about it as a long-term hold and a yield play specifically. Luke, thoughts? Yeah, well, it comes back to that point on SD and the D. When you, when you look at this as a yield play, its current yield is about 4.5%. Now, there were some COVID impacts for this business. So, you know, I thought I'll go back and see what FY19 looked like. And Back then, they were paying about a six a six cent yield, so roughly a dollar share price today. You know, maybe the yield could find its way back up towards that six percent over time as some some COVID stuff dissipates, and and you know they're taking market share as well. To be fair to the company, so you know, there's a fair chance that, that they could even grow a little bit beyond that point. But of course, you know that's that operational execution we were talking about, and you know we're coming back to some very simple um, concepts in investing. But if you can put your money in the bank at four and a half percent. Um, you know, you need to be compensated for the additional risk of investing in equities. And, and, you know, something like a Monash IBF does come with a lot of risk, despite being in an overall industry that probably will be very steady, grow low single digits. And like SDR, you know, there'll always be sort of government funding and and, and support behind it. Um, The other thing I looked at has a very clean balance sheet, to be fair to them, not much debt. There's a business that can take on debt. They're flag making acquisitions. But the point I noted here, and this is a, this is always something interesting you can look at for, for any business, not just something like Monash IBF, um, you know, they've already made a lot of acquisitions and have a lot of goodwill on the balance sheet. And right now they generate a return on equity of 8%. So what that says to me is that you're not getting a great return on all of that equity you've already, you know, you, you fronted up in the past for acquisitions you've made historically. So. You know, I don't think they have a great record of making acquisitions. Maybe COVID's affected some of those numbers to, to, you know, to give credit to management. But look, I guess to, to, to sum it all up, I, I probably wouldn't be there if your whole thesis is just for a dividend yield, yes. Okay. Um, you need to sort of come up with some thesis about how this business can grow its earnings um, and, and you know, um, give you that uh, capital growth. Because I, I just think, you know, from a dividend point of view, you're just not getting that differential uh, that we can get in much safer places than, than Monash IBF right now. Okay, there you go. So uh, do you see it any differently, Claude? Because I think I can understand Yaz thinking that this might be something that is slightly recession proof, you know, something that will always be in demand going forward when you're thinking about that long term hold. Yeah, right. I see it slightly differently uh, from Luke, although I wouldn't see it as an attractive long term hold necessarily. Uh, so actually, um, the reason that I think it's kind of interesting at the moment is more as a medium term hold. It's not a really high quality business. And the reason it's never going to be a really high quality business is the real stars of the show are the doctors that work with Monash IVF. Now, Monash IVF does earn that return on equity of 8% going by what Luke said, you know, off owning the clinics and, and having the brand there and having 
um, all of the equipment and premises and, and scientific setups and, you know, the group of people and all the different team members uh, required to take someone through the process of IVF. So there's like, it, there's a there's a real place for a capitalist in this to just own all of that stuff so that these uh, rock star doctors can go about creating humans. Uh, however, uh, it is the rock star doctors that ultimately have the power here. <laughs> they are the captains. And so that means it's never going to be a super duper high quality business that can like, you know, get heaps of pricing power going and et cetera. Uh, however, uh, where we are at the moment, I do think it's sort of viable because even though everything we've said about the fact that the dividend yield here is not really enough above the, you know, what you can get in a term deposit to make it that attractive, the medium term thesis that I think is interesting, I'm not going to call this a buy, by the way, because I am more focused on long term investing, but I like the medium term idea just because, you know, they're saying there's been some level of pent up demand. And on top of that, uh, as people, you know, literally got sick with COVID and they made a rule that said, you know, you can't do your cycle within a certain number of weeks of getting sick with COVID because they were finding people weren't having as much success if they did. So they literally had to tell people no for a bit. And so that's going to hopefully there'll be a bit of catch up. And on top of that, you've got a long term trend that's also mm -hmm. supporting it. That's showing the age um, of uh, giving birth, the, the, the mother's age when the child is born, both both first children and subsequent children is getting later, which also implies a bigger role for Monash IVF in society as well. So overall, I think there's a medium term thesis. I reckon the next results should be pretty good. But other than that, I just don't think it's a high enough quality business to, to put in the long term bucket. I'd probably more be looking for a little bit of a re-rate on decent results. Okay. So as a result, I'd call it a hold. Thank you. All right, let's get to Magnus Energy. And this is coming through for Linda. I don't have any context. MNS is the ticker code. Uh, Claude, why don't you have a go at Magnus? Uh, this is a little bit out of my um, you know, expertise. But as I understand, uh, this is uh, one, one to do with uh, lithium. And so I think that probably uh, the, the biggest story here probably applies to a lot of uh, the lithium tech and battery tech kind of plays that are on the ASX at the moment. Whilst accepting, I'm not, and I can't tell you, you know, the different tenements, angles. I'm not an expert on materials and mining, but um, I can tell you that there's sociologically, you can see that there's like a lot of hype around this sector at the moment. And so I would just be like cautious about it, quite frankly. Okay, cautious. So that's an avoid in your language, Claude, which we understand here at Ausbiz, and uh, what do you think, Luke? Um, on the numbers, Nadine, you run away from this business. Um, now, look, they are developing some battery technology. I, I had never looked at it closely, so it was, it was very hard for me to, to comment too much on the tech they've developed, but if that's legitimate, then, you know, and you've done work around that and you think you understand that as an investor, then the, the, you, can, you could probably hold this business. But I don't have that. So when I'm looking at the numbers of this business, it was it was ugly, ugly. So, you know, it's a, it's a market cap of $350 million, but they've got $150 million in debt. Now, that's to build a factory over in New York to manufacture these batteries. So you'll have, you know, hard assets being built with that money. Um, but, you know, the interest bill alone was $10 million last year, and it is pre-revenue. So, you know, this, I think, needs just flawless operational execution. You're talking about, you know, the need for, for more dilution at, at, at some pretty ugly levels at some point. Um, but that being said, as I, as I sort of 
said at the start, it probably all hinges on that technology. If that technology is legitimate and you see a quick uptake and they're able to get that revenue coming in quickly, you know, customers are buying it as fast as they can manufacture it, you probably do okay. So if you're someone who holds Magnus, if, if Linda um, holds Magnus, just do as much work as you can, which is very hard to do, but just trying to do as much as work you can around the actual technology, what differentiates it from some of these larger peers in that battery space? Um, and do you think that it's a, you know, it's a long-term winner? But you would not be otherwise. It otherwise, today. I, I, oh, no, I, I, I couldn't have It's no. not my style. No. Yeah, same board. It's so, so speculative. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Cobalt blue is the lucky last on the list, and this one is for who is it for? Jamie. Jamie. I don't have any context for this one either. Again, I just know that this is not the type of business that you guys are really that focused on. So, given your shirts blue, Luke, go first. Well, yeah, look, it's not Nadine. That's, that's, uh, you're right. But I, I will admit there are things to this business where I can at least see the appeal for, for people who are looking for, for this sort of stock. And, and it probably is a bit of a narrative stock, uh, you know, what we were talking about before, Estia or, or whatever stock. You know, you, if you're looking for that cobalt theme, that sort of EV battery metals theme, um, this has some characteristics I think would give it an appeal over a lot of other businesses that you know we've seen pop up um, on the call and, and elsewhere. Um, first of all, it's it's mine is based here in Australia. You know, big tick. So many of these you see pop up in Africa or some you know weird jurisdictions where I think just becomes very difficult. It's over in Broken Hill, so there's already infrastructure there. There's you know not a great deal they have to do. Um, they've got you know I've developed a processing plan and whatnot, but getting it to port and, and shipping it overseas, um, a lot of that's already there because it's an established mining region you got directors with skin in the game you know they're not paying themselves too egregiously um you know they're incentivized alongside with shareholders so you know like i said it comes back to that thing if, if, if you're sitting there and you're saying look i've got this um longer term theme on cobalt cobalt and that would probably hinge on the fact that i think two-thirds of the world's production comes from the democratic republic of congo and the us and a few of other western nations have, because of the ties to china have sort of said that we want to secure our own supply away from there there's, you know, there's probably reasons to, to look at the space. And, and this is one I think actually looks like it, it ticks some boxes. So I would hold it if you're there and, you know, you sort of understand that theme and you understand what you're doing. I think it's much lower risk than, than some of the others, you know, we've seen float up where, as I said, particularly they're you know, in some obscure African countries or whatnot, where it just becomes a very difficult investment. Are you ending this series of the call for the year with a buy for Cobalt Blue? I couldn't, Nadine. You know me. I can't buy a mining company. <laughs> no. I could hold it. If I, if it's I a hold. It, I would hold Claude, I can't, I can't think you're going to be ending this, uh, this series of the call this year with a buy for Cobalt Blue. But, hey, happy to be proved wrong. Uh, yeah, so I actually slightly con conflated Cobalt Blue with the previous stock in my mind just because they both, the way they market themselves to shareholders is on this whole EV battery theme. And that that's really worked over the year it's not working so much now but uh for a while this year that that's been a big theme that was really popular with investors and i think these guys build themselves as what is it like a green tech uh, a green energy exploration company right so uh that's that's been a popular tag and because it's an exploration company um even if you just have to ask yourself you know is it going to be trading based on the future the some of the future profits which are super uncertain because we they got to do all this you know, development and all that kind of stuff? Or is it trading on the fact that everybody this year was jumping on a, like the lithium, sorry, the last one we had is the battery tech, the, you know, the coal oil, anything that's needed for batteries, all of that. It's like, 
I feel like it's all come up, you know, because there's there is this true thing, you know, it's all off the back of Tesla in some way. Well, I think the cycle's turning, you know, uh, and I think that the, uh, it, you know, the battery metal and material and product uh, thematic is going to have a tougher year in 2023. So for that reason, I'd be cautious of it. Got it. Thank you, guys. Look, I tried. I knew we weren't going to end on a double buy from Cobalt Blue, but uh, we take what we can get. So let me just run you through what we've learned so far in the second half of the program. So for Aussie Broadband, probably the most positive coming from Luke. He says it looks interesting. Um, you want to ease into a position, but he's happy to put a buy on it at this price. It's on the watch list for Claude. Um, he wants to just sort of see that profitability coming through and it could be an FY23, pure hydrogen, it's pie in the sky in Luke's view and it's a very risky idea. Claude would be avoiding that one. Monash IVF, look, as far as a long-term investment for yield, that's not why you would be buying this one. It's a hold, but you might trade into some good results coming through. It's more of a medium-term thesis for Claude. And again, you know, yield at 4.5% for Luke is just not worth it for that long-term hold. You can make that money elsewhere. And you can get less risky propositions if in terms of that type of yield. Magnus Energy, Cobalt Blue, it's just, it's an avoid. Um, Luke was more positive on Cobalt Blue, but you just heard the guys talking about this. And yeah, it's been a hallmark of the end of 2022 to see some of the narrative around lithium battery technologies just souring a bit. So we will see what 2023 holds. And on that point, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Huge thank you for everything that you've done with us this year. All of your insights are valuable and we appreciate your time very much as always. Now go have a wonderful holiday and a bit of a break with your families. And uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking in the new year. Thanks, have a Christmas, thanks. Thank you. And thank you for watching the call throughout this year. Look, we are going to be on a little bit of a hiatus just between the Christmas and New Year period. But we will be obviously online. You can catch up with any of our episodes from throughout the year on osbiz.com.au. Still, please do send through those share ideas if you have them anytime over the holiday. We will be keeping track of them. So don't go anywhere. We do have small caps coming up. We've got Kelsey and CEO joining us. They made a major contract extension with Transport for New South Wales just yesterday. And from all of the team here at Ausbiz, have a wonderful Christmas.